We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the new cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster. I am delighted to be back with you, back in the U.S. of A. phone and excited my my home behind my microphone. Did we just lose him? That's amazing. <laughs> Wait, you can't hear my audio either? No, you no, cut no, off. No, it can't oh, now. You were like, you were like I'm, I'm excited. excited. I'm and it just kind of. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I didn't go I thought anywhere. you were, I just pictured you running out the door. Like, like I'm I leaving. I'm, like, I'm, ex- I'm out. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> Fuck this. I'm leaving. I thought he was excited to eat his gummy, but I but didn't mean to agree to do that halfway through. Yeah, I, I haven't I done advised. it yet. I haven't I done it yet tonight. Um, but last night, man, I, I'm here with Matt Welch, uh, of course, <laughs> Michael Moynihan. I should finish. Uh, gentlemen, it's great to be back with you. I feel like I just saw you because I did, you did. see you. Yeah. It's been a weird yeah. it's been a weird week because I was in New York on Monday yeah. and left Tuesday and now we're recording. It's a Wednesday evening and you debated. I, don't know. I, mean, I did. What, I had my the debate. Word. Yeah. <laughs> the word for I suppose it. I suppose we should probably do some sort of after action report related to that as well. There's so yeah. much so much you're, going on. So you're very nice and you don't you don't <laughs> talk about your debate partners in any negative terms. I don't Yeah, I won't I'm stop you res- if you want to. Yeah, I'm not restricted. Uh, I may have some by things those to say actually. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, it was uh, Camille versus a woman who I didn't I'd never heard of, which doesn't mean anything. Um mm, no. and she uh works for Stacey Abrams or works with Stacey Abrams. Right. And is an activist. Uh, by the way, one of the interesting things, by the way, she said at one point that her, her parents aren't American. Yes. Which is I always found really surprising. interesting. Yeah, it's really really interesting. Mm. But um because the the topic was race and the topic yeah. was um but the it was a very weird debate because her opening salvo was that <laughs> we're just going to deal in facts here, no supposition, nothing personal, and then there were no facts. <laughs> just a lot of personal well, there, stuff about how people. There were kind of some facts, but it but was. Here's the thing: was, you can't do. Yeah, you drenched say, in personal acrimony yeah, yeah, yeah. and feelings, yeah. and you have to listen to the lived experience of black people. Yeah, and, well, and of I course, mean, allegations that people like me want to see black people die and uh, refuse yeah. to engage with facts and yeah. refuse to acknowledge facts and don't care if black people die. Well, the most interesting thing <laughs> I found out from that debate it incon- it's inconvenient. was that Beyonce and Serena Williams, uh, yes. who are together worth probably well over a billion dollars, Oh, Their yes. babies both almost died because of racist doctors. No, no the mommies. Was, the mommies almost died because of racist. Oh, doctors. sorry. The the mommies yes. almost died. You kill the child. famous mommy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were like getting together, and one doctor, very white doctor, was twisting his mustache, saying, "Let's <laughs> get Beyonce." <laughs> like I don't know, she's having a baby. All right, let's figure this out. <laughs> so that was very bizarre. But let's. But moving on from that, you can listen to that debate. It's going to be online soon. But yeah. I have to say that we had a lot of listeners there, mm-hmm. and I I do want to say something to our listeners. Please. Yes. Um, uh, I met a lot of you. Um, and none of you motherfuckers know how to drink. Yeah. Because Jesus Christ. So bad. It's just like. So bad. Super nice people. One second and the next thing you know, they're like, I'm like, dude, can you put your pants back on? Why are you in the middle of the bar? Like, like juggling your balls. And it's like, oh, oh it. it's everybody. And by the way, if you think I'm talking about you, probably not because there were so many people that are qualified. Yeah. 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 There's, it's a lot of really drunk. Probably guys. someone worse than you. Probably. Yeah. There was a lot. 
There yeah. was a lot. But at least you got your diabetes explained to you finally. I did. Um, a li- a listener who's, who's definitely listening to this, because she was telling me that she had listened to the last one, was yelling at me for, about something. I couldn't remember what. But uh, told me that, uh, that, um, uh, that I didn't need to take insulin. Huh. And was very adamant about this. And I said, no, it's type was 2 this, diabetes. Was this my mom? Uh, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. she, she would stop seal. you from taking insulin, like, insulin, insulin and sell you seal, like don't. sunflower seed extract. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's ginkgo biloba or something. Yeah. And when you yeah, die, I don't know what, kind, don't know what, die, don't know what you would explain it. How she she's would probably trying it, to sell but. me something. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't figure it out. But yeah, so I got that advice, which okay. was um, <laughs> not advice that I took, by the way. Um, and. Uh, she said I was mansplaining it to her, and I said, "No, I'm diabetes explaining it to you." But, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a fun evening, and uh, there were all sorts of uh, wacky, uh, wild uh, people there. So, but it was fun. It was good to good to see all the all of uh, of our friends come out. So. What was your What was your take on the uh, evening there, Welch? It was a frustrating debate, um, <laughs> is a way of putting it, uh, yeah. and uh, especially because you know posited that. We're doing uh, facts and not feelings, and uh, it just there was um, a constant reference to a meta study, though, Matt. So there was some that was a fact. Yeah, I mean, this me- is <laughs> yeah one meta study. Yeah, again, y'all will be able to listen to it, but like it's in a in an oral live debate to point to a study that you don't name, yeah. and then to say that is the end of of the story. Yes, um, is it's a it, it makes for difficult debating. Um, yeah. It's it's really it's really frustrating, like really really frustrating. And I will say that I've subsequently gone back and looked at some of this stuff. Uh, for example, she um, several times talked about um, maternal death, the risk of maternal yeah. death, and the differential mm-hmm. between blacks and whites, which she would continue consistently say, you know, black women are three times more likely to die than white women. And there is a, a bit of kind of statistical uh, gimmickry that one shouldn't be surprised is possible when you just say, oh, it's three times more likely. Well, what are mm. the total numbers that we're talking about here? And it's entirely possible for the difference between these two groups to be like, oh, you have a 0.018% chance of dying. And in the other case, you have a 0.056% chance of dying, as it happens to be the case, which means that the number of people that die is so small that any difference between these groups can have a huge impact on like the percentage difference between the two groups. So we're actually talking about a vanishingly small number of people that actually have these bad outcomes. It is true that there is a difference between these groups that isn't immaterial, but it can in fact be really, really complicated because the number of individuals that we're talking about is pretty small. And the fact that they happen to be quote unquote black and common can actually be really hard to control for. It's not enough oftentimes to get rid of income differences between these people or even to get rid of like regional differences. Like the kind of things that can impact the differences in outcomes can be enormous. And the likelihood that there is some sort of bizarre racist subtext um, that <laughs> that can't be controlled for, that is as likely to, to impact, you know, black mom uh, who you've never heard of and Beyonce and um, uh, Serena Williams or Venus Williams. Um, I know it's Serena, but I'm I'm just adding both of them in. Um, is just is so bizarre as to not be believable. I'm pretty confident that Leah and um, Beyonce and Jay Z's twins were born in the same hospital 
not too far away from one another. And Mm -hmm. I'm confident that when uh, Beyonce's kids were born, like Jay and Beyonce had most of, if not the entire, (laughs) an entire floor of the maternal maternity wing to themselves. And I remember hearing you from some pe- of the you, nurses I, I who were working like- in the hospital at the time about what the experience <laughs> was like. It was all hands on deck to the extent yeah. they had bad outcomes. It was probably because they got too much care. There were too I many bet, people tripping no, over themselves. No, but I bet like four black women died giving birth that day because they didn't get doctors because <laughs> they were all we're sorry, There's a shortage of medical Beyonce. professionals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> young prince and queen are being born today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I just uh, uh, five minutes before we started read the pretty remarkable uh, letter from the Stanford University Law oh, School. Oh, did you? Dean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, read it in its entirety, and I really recommend everybody so uh, good. Yeah. do uh, likewise. It's up on the FIRE website, the Foundation for Individual yeah. Rights in Education or in Expression. Um, and it is a very thoroughgoing. This is after the um, dispute over a Fifth Circuit judge getting uh, heckled into uh, basically silence and ruining his event. Um, that had been invited by the Federalist Society. Uh, and then there was a, a DEI uh, a sort of dean lady who went up and and uh, in prepared remarks kind of uh, attacked him as well in, in real uh, terms. But so this Stanford dean laid out both in like pretty legalese. It was like a brief on some level, but then also a broader periscope kind of this is what we're doing here at a university at a law school we are debating things the law is the great mediator uh of life and all the passions that go in every single direction it's the way that we can sort of get together and sort of arbitrate these disputes and and as such we have to learn how to talk and learn how to let other people talk and this is what we're going to be doing here at the university it was a very managerial very like what happened is an aberration and we are going to fix the aberration going forward. And anyone who's got a problem with that is going to have a problem that they're going to need to work out mm. kind of thing and reading it. And the, that tenor of it was just so refreshingly adult. Yes. Um, I wanted that to be ingested by your debate partner, but also the last guy who asked a question mm. who sort of like he led with his offense at how everything had gone on so far. As a and he was man. granted time. His, by his the way. offense as a black man. Oh, we have yeah. to talk about this. Yes, he was granted time. Yeah. Please go ahead, Michael Moyen. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Camille almost walked off stage because he was so pissed off that the black time guy was at the end, the time was up. And yeah. Camille's like, nope, that's privilege. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, it, the game was tied, the bases were loaded, and the batter walked, but he was a person of color, so the pitcher had to go out and throw one more pitch. Yeah, throw <laughs> more pitch. That actually was you know, uh, Camille's strongest point was towards the uh, strongest performances towards the end, is in in my view. But uh, yeah, it was a good this guy, yeah. this guy, which you know, this this is, here's a trick. Uh, by the way, for everyone who's ever involved in these debates, closing statements are exactly the time to say things, and Camille did this masterfully. That absolutely infuriate your debate partner because yes. they can't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was fantastic to watch well, that. I don't, but anyways, I the don't guy, know what I said. Uh, the guy <laughs> went in there and just led with his his uh, alleged injury of having had to sit and listen to this, and mm-hmm. it's just yeah. terrible. And that's just no way to talk. 
It's really no way to engage in what is actually a public debate. It's literally a public debate. Um, So it's like, don't leave with your injury. I want those people to read the Stanford thing. Uh, We'd be in a better place and have like normal uh, adult debates instead of retreating behind perceived injury, which so many people do. Could you imagine advising your child in such a way? That if you are in a public forum in which two people are debating a contentious topic, if you don't like one of the arguments being offered, then you should get up at some point and tell the person (laughs) that you don't feel comfortable and that you are injured by hearing their argument. If my daughter ever said something like that at 12 years old, I would disown her. And I would say that you, that you're, this is, you're not one of mine. That's the most offensive way of you of dealing with this stuff, but it is so common and it is so common as, as you're right, my, Matt, to tie it to that letter. And the letter is very, very good. It, you're right. It is kind of very, a lot of court precedent that is uh, referenced and, you know, academic articles that are referenced, but sort of necessary because you have on one side of that a lot of emotion and it has to be met with a lot of kind of facts and reason and argument, which uh, is what happened. The good thing about it, by the way, in that letter, as we talked about this before, is that the the head of DEI, the one who gets up there and mau maus the visiting federal Federalist Society uh, member judge, is uh, was put on leave, which is the appropriate thing. Now, I said that before, and I think someone sent an email about like, oh, you like cancel culture, culture eh? it's like um <laughs> no that's not like if someone comes into work mm-hmm. and they're drunk yeah and i tell them to go home and not come back for a week yes that's not cancel culture that's it <laughs> that's just being a good employee right screaming at guests yeah. when you are the head of, of dei or whatever at the law school not being a good employee that's not cancel culture that's not, and, and by the way I think I said she should be fired, which I stand by. She should be fired because probably appropriate, yeah. Because that is an abrogation of your duty as somebody in the administration of an institution of higher learning to shut down or mau mau people and try to shut down their ideas. Um, you know, that's not your place. And if that's the way you think, maybe you should work at uh, in a different job. Maybe go work at the the newly uh, reconstituted ACLU. Mm. in which this is the type of thing that they're on board with. I don't believe that the ACLU put out a statement about this. I'm not sure. I can't be mm-hmm. sure of that. I should look at the Cal- see if the California ACLU if they, did. If they do, it may be on the other side of this. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, but I also, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rat anyone out, but, but, you know, as Camille conveyed to me after the debate, when we were having drinks afterwards, that, um, you know, it wasn't the only person who had feelings and issues. And uh, that kind of thing was going around. Uh, which is really astonishing, not something that you would see in any debate, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I was like thinking back to some of these debates that I saw when I was in college, particularly debates about race. I saw a couple, actually, Mm -hmm. weirdly, at Boston University, I saw uh, Dinesh D'Souza debate Glenn Lowry um, Mm. in that moment when, because of the end of racism, Dinesh D'Souza's book, Lowry, I believe, broke off his affiliation with the American Enterprise Institute uh, because D'Souza was there too. I mean, D'Souza at that point was actually not what he is now. And that's actually very important to point out. And they debated at Boston University. I saw it, but I, I saw a bunch of others where there are people that were serious people. And there was nothing like this. Nothing. I mean, there was a Camille type person who was making sense and, you know, making arguments. But I would have been so surprised then to see someone debating in this way, uh, which is, again, something that that you can hear when it goes online, but you know, the long and short of it is 
is someone talking about people's lived experiences. I guess that's probably the best way of putting it. Because, you know, one of these interesting poll results you see these days is how people perceive race in America. And particularly when you look at the the respondents who are black mm-hmm. and you see how they felt about race in 1980, mm-hmm. 1990, did they have opportunities? Could they get ahead? Were they in control of their own destinies? How is it that when race relations, I mean, the race relations are obviously getting worse, but, but opportunities have been expanding you know, quite a bit in the past 20, 30 years, black middle class has been expanding. How is it that the, the sense that there's no, no opportunities of the, or they're, they're drying up or you're living under the kind of yoke of white supremacy and that's the dominant factor in your life? How has that grown so much? Well, I think that we all know the answer to that question. And it's, it, the, the culture is suffused with this stuff. And that's what was kind of on display of watching this debate of people saying, you know, my experience, my experience, it's, you know, you can make whatever you want of your experience. I mean, we all know people who believe that bad things that have happened to them happen for reasons that we think are totally insane. You know, race or no race. Like, you know, I talk to people all the time like this, you know, you know, people, my friends, family, you know, like, oh, this person treated me this way because of X or Y. It's like, mm, is that true? But if you say it in one particular way, and it's about one particular issue like race, no one should question it. That should just be the proof that we are not um, talking about race enough, which was the premise of the debate. Are we talking too much about race? Are we too obsessed with race was the yes. premise. Is America too debate? obsessed yeah. with yeah, race? Yeah, which exactly. is a bit a bit weird because, I mean, any obsession is is by definition almost <laughs> yeah, not yeah. good. So if you're too yeah, obsessed, exactly. which normally obsessed, it, yeah. <laughs> it just struck me that since my my debate partner uh, agreed to that premise that she too would have acknowledged that, well, yeah, of course America's obsessed with race, but are we too yeah. obsessed with race? But I'd like rate. to just point out that we're not saying her name because we're all afraid to mispronounce it. So <laughs> I just, just don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Is that I'm better also, or worse? I'm also afraid to mispronounce it. Yeah, <laughs> but Camille, is it not the case? She mispronounced that, the hell out of my name. Although, oh, yeah, oh my God. Yeah, there's no, what technically, he got a, there's no he got a, mispronunciation. A Kamel. He got a Kamel. Kameli. It was, I, it was, got a couple it was I got a couple J- different iterations, actually. I was, yeah, look, was, it's female Jason Stanley. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, Jason uh, Stanley but the person who came up and asked that question, at, mm. a, you know, after the shot clock had run out yeah. um, and was given yeah. his special privilege to do so. Um, <laughs> we won't say by whom. The, yeah, <laughs> definitely not. You have to listen um, you to can the hear debate that. to find out. <laughs> but you talked to that person later, didn't you? Well, I did. Well, and I don't exactly know how this happened. I mean, after these events, oftentimes there are dinner, drinks kind of situations. In this particular case, uh, because there are still these outdoor dining booths from uh, the the COVID era that are still hanging on, we were dining outside in one of those things pretty close to where the event happened. So people would wander by and would often just stop by to talk. And I actually ended up talking to people outside of this thing most of the night as opposed to actually eating and drinking. But the gentleman who asked the last question managed to find his way to this table and I managed to be sitting next to him. Mm. And I mean, I'll just say, you know, the way the question was, was asked was exceedingly rude and disrespectful uh, in my estimation. (laughs) Um, And I was in a bad mood. Uh, and I, I will say to anyone who was nearby, because some people would have seen this, and maybe one day there'll be videos. So I'll just be candid. Um, I was not 
necessarily my best self in that moment. Most of the time, I'm pretty constrained, and um, I, I try to be thoughtful and tactful. Um, I I was I had an edge that evening, and sitting next to me and saying to me, "I don't think you honestly believe the arguments that you make." Uh oh. Which, in effect, you are a liar. (laughs) Won't be well received. And I will only deal with you harshly. And there will only be venom for you. Uh, So yeah, he sat next to me. And he got the venom. uh, And invited me later to Google him so I could figure out who he was and what he was up to. And I had to make it very clear that I have zero interest. You you paid money to see me this evening. I would never. I wouldn't wouldn't pay anything. (laughs) To see yeah. you ever again. Like, I'm going to oh, so, extricate so myself you, from this situation yeah. before I wrap yeah. my hands around your yeah. lapel and say, yeah. good, day, good day, sir. Have a good evening. I'm going. So, home. you own a bicycle shop in Staten Island. Okay. <laughs> I don't care. Still of Nassau. We don't care. <laughs> but he did the thing, by the way, when he asked the question. The question yes, was. Yes, he did ask me um, how old I was at one point. How old are um, you? Yeah. <laughs> Young man. Um, very flattering. Um, the question was do you believe. That, oh, yes. Do you um, believe systemic, systemic racism, racism is real? Is real. Yeah. And Camille did the the right thing and say, um, paused and said, well, how would you define systemic racism? Right? So you, I mean, you have to set the... Yeah. And he did the It wasn't thing. a got you. It wasn't no, a got you. No, it's just an honest question. Uh, but he did the thing that I fucking hate, which is he just looked and he's like, exactly. And like walked away dramatically. It's Mother, like, exactly. What? That, that right there. I was like, what are you doing? I mean, exactly. I wanted to like <laughs> leap off the stage and give him a flying elbow. <laughs> yeah. It's just the worst. <laughs> Jimmy Superfly Snooker. <laughs> oh, but the man. low point of the low point of the debate actually was the, uh, the opening from my opponent who, who now, now we are like just kind of dogging her. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever. I the mean, low point of the debate the you, was the yeah. opening because at no point in the debate do you open by doing the Webster's Dictionary defines. Yeah, yeah. Writing you don't or don't do it. Yeah. You don't yeah. do it. You don't do it ever. It you definitely yeah. don't do it in the intro. Yeah. Webster's no, Dictionary it's... defines obsession <laughs> as, oh no. Oh no. Are you kidding? Give these people their money's worth. What are you doing, girl? Yeah. You're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. This is not debate club. <laughs> this is not... <laughs> This is not high school civics. What are you doing? Uh, yeah. Before we leave the topic, uh, and pursuant to what Michael was saying about the recent trends in race relations, go look at Gallup. They've been asking this quarterly or, mm. or monthly. I forget what um, for a, a long data series. And it's remarkable to see what's happened since 2014. Yeah. Like things were, uh, I don't know what the numbers are, but like, you know, two thirds of people what from whatever hue um, were like, you know what? Trending probably in a good direction. And mm-hmm. then it just fell off a cliff beginning yes. in 2014. Yeah. It is it is yeah. a startling change in public opinion. And that's really worth reflecting on. Um, it's one, one of, of the where, most under understudied things yes, like right. in our polity. I mean, it just it demands explanation. Like We should mm-hmm. be obsessing over it because it's crazy. It's crazy that so many black people woke up one day and discovered, oh, my God. I've been I've been taken advantage of. <laughs> like, mm. You were fine. But white people too in that, in and, that and survey. white people yeah. and and so many of these Everyone so many of these like studies. Race relations are bad. Are, yeah. yeah, and and in so many of these studies, you'll also find these bizarre dynamics where white people are far more pessimistic 
<laughs> black yeah. people, yeah. which is just what is even going on here? It is bizarre. But you know, I mean, obviously what happens in 2014 was relevant to the debate because you brought up Mike Brown and how the narrative of hands up, don't shoot, which you could even expand and you can't mm-hmm. uh, in, in a, a debate format. You have very, very limited time. Uh, you could even expand to other aspects of that case, oh, which doubt. turned yeah. out not only we did end to up not getting into be, that too. Yeah. yeah. Not to be true, but when it was kicked back to your debate opponent, mm-hmm. the person who said, we're only going to deal in facts said that fact that you cited didn't matter. Yes. It was irrelevant. <laughs> it doesn't it matter. Really, whoa, 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 whoa. It was irrelevant. <laughs> this thing that precipitated a sea change in yes. how we viewed race relations. That's why, in 2014, right. Trayvon Martin thing starts it, I think, and then Mike Brown, yes. for sure, has a big effect on it. And then 2020, obviously, people just go, everyone just is deranged by it. Yeah. I mean, truly deranged by it. And of course, that COVID is, is, COVID, is the yeah. underlying um, most important factor there, I think. But you know, to say that that stuff doesn't matter is bizarre, and I mm-hmm. think that you know, you you mentioned at that point the the Atlanta massage parlor thing, mm-hmm. which has turned into you know a anti Asian blah blah blah, which turned out not to be true. I mean, remember that we just had this conversation about uh, a guy who was brutally beaten to death by the police in Tennessee. Was it in Tennessee? And all the officers who were arrested were black. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, I think that had the officers not been all black, it would have have, um, stayed around the news a little longer. But even though it it, it was so brutal and on camera that it precipitated some conversation, and there was so much of it that was like, it doesn't matter that they're black. They have kind of inhabited this world of white supremacy. And they've learned the tools of white supremacy. And they, too, are meeting out this kind of unfair and racist punishment on somebody who didn't deserve it. That kind of thinking is when you're constantly pounding a square peg into a round hole. You're just desperate for that narrative to constantly be at the forefront of every conversation. And that is poisonous. And that ends up scaring people in the sense that people don't want to have honest conversations about this. And I know that to be true because we host a podcast and because so many people I know um, that are like legitimately friends of mine too, we get people who aren't friends of ours too, that send us emails about this, who aren't terribly political and tell me that, Oh my God, it's really nice to hear people talk about these issues in an open way because I don't feel comfortable doing it in my life ever. That I don't think is something that would have happened in, I look, I remember, you know, one of our mutual friends, uh, Camille and, and mm-hmm. Matt's friends them too, wanting in 2007, eight to do a documentary on race. Mm-hmm. And that the, the construction, the premise, all that stuff that I remember back now would never be suggested today. Mm-hmm. Never. And mm-hmm. it was a pretty straightforward thing, but it's just too much of a minefield, number one. And you could get it. You could make it and release it and, you know, be Ben Shapiro and these guys that do stuff about transgender issues and, you know, release them themselves. But good luck trying to get that on a streaming service mm-hmm. if you were to do a kind of – I think you probably could have in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, I think – wasn't there a thing about the Mike Brown movie that um, – Candace, Shelby- Candace did one. But wasn't there a Shelby? Oh, that wasn't Steele? that wasn't Mike Brown. That was uh, that was the that was the George Floyd movie that she did. But Shelby still did what do one? Yeah, fairly and recently. Think, yeah, and I think that he that it was pulled off of Amazon. I think. Or was, was it contract. was it Eli or Shelby who did it? I don't remember. I think it was both. Okay, it's his son, his father and son um, working together. Yeah. yeah, and I think that it was taken off 
Amazon, they had some fight. I over think that's it. right. Yeah, I think that's it, right. It, it's constantly proven that everything that we think about this stuff that is true is not is not the result of conspiracy. It's a result of um, just you know response to things that happen when people try to make kind of interesting, heterodox, different content that I might not even agree with, but I, I, I obviously want to watch. I will say that there is something that I do find a bit disturbing, and that's that amongst reactionaries on the right, I have seen, um, and I can't, I mean, empirically, it's hard to say, you know, how much of this stuff there is relative to, to previous periods, but more people who are at least flirting with um, or at least I encounter it more frequently. And it's oftentimes anonymous people on on like Twitter or something. A lot of weird race essentialism stuff and sure, yeah. hierarchical inferiority. And some of the arguments that are leveled in the bell curve uh, about there being these kind of fundamental, fundamental, likely biological or genetic, just but inherent is the, is the word um, that we probably ought to use there differences between the groups that result in these disparities. And as a result of that, you probably shouldn't be looking for the disparities to kind of eviscerate, um, uh, to, to go away and be eviscerated by policy changes because these people are just too different. They're not the same. So you can't expect the same outcomes. Um, I think that those are, those are bad arguments. And in general, um, that entertaining a lot of that stuff is, uh, not only disreputable, um, but deeply misguided for a lot of reasons, um, specifically because race and human biodiversity, specifically genetic diversity, are just fundamentally different in ways that people who don't know this stuff like, don't appreciate. And I would say that that's probably true of even social scientists who've made a habit of talking about these same issues for a very long time without the underlying understanding of biology and genetics. And as a result, they make a lot of sloppy mistakes. Um, but more importantly, there was a question asked, and I promised to address this. So maybe this is the last thing I'll say about this, then we can move on, about um, equity and equality and the tension between the two things. And it's something that we've talked about a bunch of times. And I think he was trying to make a point that he heard um, on uh, real time the other day when John McWhorter was on and, and this issue came up. And I can't exactly remember his phrasing, but I know that what I found a little frustrating about it was he tried to to create this, posit this distinction between equality of outcomes and equality of opportunity. Um, and that that's really what the issue is here. And I, I understand why someone would frame it in that particular way, but my concern with respect to equity and equality is is rather different. I mean, equality under the law means that the law is no respecter of individual persons, whatever the reason um, for that is. Like, it's just the same statute for all of us. A murder is wrong. You don't get punished differently um, or not punished uh, because you happen to be black or white. Equality under the law. Um, but when the standard is equity, when the goal of policy is leveling the leveling of society and the evisceration of differences between groups. Um, I think the actual issue is that it's far easier to achieve this leveling by creating a ceiling for everyone <laughs> than it is to raise the floor for the people who are presumed to be or believed to be the most disadvantaged. And I say that 
because focusing on the averages means that you're going to necessarily be promoting people who happen to be members of some protected class, but are almost uniformly in terms of the ones who benefit, not really in need of any kind of protection whatsoever. They are elite and they also happen to be black. And you'll find plenty of examples of the people who benefit most from the prevailing regime of hyper-race consciousness um, being these people who were already damn successful and the people who are still being left out in the cold are the people who were not particularly powerful and also happen to be black. Um, so there is a, there's a tremendous amount of inequity um, in these ostensibly equitable policies and the, the, the allusion to Harris and Bergeron that, that we've made on the podcast and in various other contexts um, is very real because again, just from a policy standpoint, far easier to create a floor, far easier to, to, to burden the successful person um, and to take away things that might be useful to them um, than it is to, to do things for, yeah. for people who are, are desperately trying to achieve something. It's lazy, and what else does it do? It, 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 it's, you don't have to admit failure. Sure. Right? Because if you just say that these are these disparities that exist, how do we rectify it? Well, you have to look back in recent, the recent past and realize that there been, have been a number of policy proposals, starting probably with the war on poverty and moving forward, that have not had great outcomes. And when you look at those outcomes and you kind of sit there scratching your head and say, okay, so what do we do now? Mm -hmm. um, that is really hard. And I sympathize with people who are in that situation. Like, this is difficult. And the answer is not to, you know, make equity by, by lowering the threshold that one becomes great, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't get into this school anymore because you're too good. I mean, let's let people in who aren't very good mm -hmm. is essentially what people are talking about with Stuyvesant High School in, in New York, for instance, which, by the way has nothing to do with white supremacy because I think it's 6% of the students at Stuyvesant are white. Um, 80 Chinese odd, immigrants. Yeah, 80 odd percent are Asian. And, and you know, the and, same thing. I mean, low income yeah. immigrants. Low, low income <laughs> immigrants low or income children immigrants. Yeah, yeah, who, yeah, who bust their asses bust to get yes. into and, this school. And look, it scrambles the minds of the average person when you talk about, you know, stop Asian hate um, you know, which is a complicated thing, which I, I think has been misreported in so many ways, mm -hmm. or you see the Academy Awards of like, you know, finally we're overcoming all this stuff as Asian Americans. Some of that's true. I think some of it's overstated, but some of it's definitely true. Um, that, you know, if, if you want to get in on that sweepstakes and say that, you know, we as non-white, it's very hard for other people who don't pay attention to this stuff and say, well, there are people trying to restrict your entry into Berkeley, into Stuyvesant High School, into, uh, uh, you know, what is it, uh, Bronx Science, uh, to Harvard, which is the, a lawsuit that is in front of the Supreme Court now. It kind of makes people, and look, there's reasons for this. You can, you can actually square these things in so many ways. I don't deny that. But the average person looking at this is like, wait, what are you talking about that you are on par with, you know, as a person of color, I am blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it starts to break down when you start looking at the fact that the quote unquote people of color are all very, very different. And from, mm -hmm. and even if you, t even if you remain within categories, it's wildly different, right? But, and you know, as Matt just pointed out, you know, these are, or, or Camille pointed out, the kids that are going to these schools are not 
you know, the daughter and son of Amy Chua. <laughs> you know, it's not just, they're different tiger moms. They're, they're poorer tiger moms. If you go and look at what is the professed enthusiasms of people largely on the left when they're approaching education reform and also like trying to deal with systemic racism in the K through 12 system and also college, but let's stick to K through 12. Um, it is overwhelming what direction that goes. It goes in the direction of leveling. Um, look at the New York Times for the last six, seven years and just measure the column inches devoted to the eight specialized high schools in New York um, and and what are the entrance and what are the ethnic uh, um, breakdowns of, of people going in there and what are the automatic, you know, the, the standardized tests that get there and can we get rid of those tests and what are the gifted and talented programs and maybe that's too skewed this way. That is 95% of education reform uh, coverage. Bill de Blasio early in his tenure spent an ungodly sum of money and I don't have it on, on my brain right now exactly what it was. Let's say it was $50 million. It might have been more, might have been less, but it was an ungodly sum of money to help uh, ostensibly build the floor. And I forget the name of the program, um, but on uh, education, uh, some of that money I think was spent through his wife's nonprofit, which is a classic New York governance trick. Um, and it did nothing, produced zero results, way much, way more money than anything else that has been done that it gets all the column inches. People don't care about it. They don't actually care about that part of the uh, equation. Uh, and also those same people are very invested to make sure that the number of charter schools is capped, has a limit, um, mm -hmm. which it does in the state of New York. State of New York uh, makes those uh, considerations for the city of New York. It's all messed up uh, governance structure. But um, so they're dead set against raising the number of charters, which is a great escape hatch for kids in crappy schools to go somewhere else and still be in a public school and not pay for it. Um, and so let's stop that. And then let's spend the rest of our time leveling off and like cutting off every single, Oh, you mean attendance uh, is being taken into consideration at these great schools? Well, uh, black and Brown students are bad at attendance. So let's get rid of that as a consideration. Mm -hmm. um, it is, it is a leveling process. And what happens is predictable across every line, including in Los Angeles, where there's a fucking, teacher strike right now yeah. um where they're dancing in videos online yes. doing like line dancing uh to aretha franklin songs in the rain while their kids once again <laughs> can't fucking go to school in mm -hmm. some of the worst performing schools in the country um it it's astonishingly bad so these bad performing schools <laughs> this is where the this is where the energy goes into Th that's another great people leave that's another great uh, reason to talk about white supremacy because you don't have to talk about the fact that you're a terrible teacher and your kids are doing horribly. It's some societal factor that I can't explain. But by the way, one final brief thing in this, globally is the way to look at these things, to look at these problems and their potential solutions. And, you know, I think Thomas Sowell is one of the few people that I can think of offhand who in an accessible way, there's plenty of academics that do it, have looked at, you know, this, you know, affirmative action around the world, conquest and cultures and things like this. Um, he did a whole series of books about this. But if you look at Sweden, where I lived, and, you know, the test results and a whole bunch of other factors, too, of recent immigrants, the kids who are, um, you know, born to immigrant parents but grew up in Sweden, uh, uh, you know, grew up in Sweden and have Swedish citizenship. They call that, you know, there's always a category in the Swedish things. It's very interesting. 
uh, like it's called Svensk mit utländsk bakgrund, like sw- Swedish with with um, immigrant background. And like that's a different category, right? They've grown up here, they're immigrant background, their parents are probably immigrants recently, Iraq, Syria, etc. And the performances are are wildly different. Now, there's not a lot of things that you can say these are these are direct kind of comparisons or analogs. But all over the world, we have similar situations like this. Um, and there's, they're often very instructive. But we look at this, unfortunately, only through the lens of America, American history, slavery, race relations, etc., all of which are very important, all of which are very important. But there's all sorts of other things that are important, too, in other places around the world usually show that. Amen. Um, so we should probably talk about some of the things that are happening right now. Got a president on the verge of being indicted. Um, Did he get arrested yet? No. Uh, No. They they didn't convene today. Grand jury did not convene today. We don't actually know when this is going to happen. I suppose we've been on indictment watch since the weekend. Uh, There is some question as to to whether or not the president has just kind of invented this. Um, But no, I think the the DA in Manhattan uh, has been hinting at this possibility more and more definitely um, over the course of uh, the recent weeks and days. Um, but we've got other news as well. Uh, the economy continues to be, uh, in a somewhat precarious state. We've got the bank stuff that's going on. The federal, the fed federal reserve cautiously continuing to raise rates while they're fighting inflation. Um, and as the fed chairman explained, focusing on both inflation, um, and the banking crisis, which they view <laughs> as separate things, but are apparently making their decisions about the inflation fighting, um, based on their concern that they may send the wrong kinds of signals to the market. So it makes for a rather difficult, complicated circumstance. And, and of course, this might be the last rate yeah, increase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which yeah. is weird because we're still way off on the inflation target. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's complicated. Uh, and in the universe of foreign policy, Russia and China have been getting together for a summit, and the Russian yeah. plane knocks down a, an American drone, which I suppose that was a little over a week ago. Yeah. But things are nuts. They're a little things bit crazy. Um, yeah. So there's plenty that we could talk about today. Um, I, I don't know where you gentlemen want to start or if I've, I've Matt left should off start with the uh, Alvin Bragg because I, I know he thinks it's one of the greatest decisions that any <laughs> attorney general has ever made. So we were at uh, at the debate on Monday and Pete Dominic, our friend, uh, opened up, did a little crowd work before the show. Uh, and at some point he said like, oh, so we're, we're about ready to get to Trump. What do you guys think about that? Right. And it's trying out like Pete and I've uh, been on a show a ton of times and, and uh, Michael and I both guest hosted for him back when he had a show, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on, that doesn't series, exist anymore. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that kind of like approach. It's just uh, not to overthink it, but just like, hey, thing bad happened news person not like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we good with that? We bad with that. Yeah, um, it's Al Capone on taxes, right? Well, because, get him for anything. Get him for anything at this point. Because right? it's ac- it's pretty accurate the way a lot of people look at it, and yeah, I really, sure. without a doubt, I, I would like to uh, to beseech, especially those uh, beautiful listeners, and you're all beautiful, especially the ones who hang out at the bar after uh, live events and, and talk to Michael about uh, <laughs> insulin <laughs> management. Um, but uh, especially those who are like high-fiving, who were, were responded to the Pete Dominic query by clapping. Um, like, woo, got him. Um, mm-hmm. This is a terrible idea. This is a ter- This prosecution, um, assuming that's going to happen and indictments mm-hmm. is going to happen, 
It is a terrible idea. Please understand what's happening here. The former president of the United States, who's weird and corrupt and all of that, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is being indicted for, or the, the theory behind the indictment is, uh, supposition is that um, he uh, lied to cover up a federal campaign law. Violation. Um, yeah. Violation. That's not even clear what the campaign the campaign viola- yeah. violation, uh, which he, he was investigated federal? by the Federal Election Camp, uh, Commission, yeah. right. and they decided not to prosecute. And Cy Vance, the previous <laughs> AG, he decided the same thing. He decided not to. So the only way, it's a misdemeanor Lord. to kind of bullshit in such a way yeah. mm-hmm. in New York law, unless yeah. you're bullshitting to try to evade a federal conceal law. Conceal a crime. So, right. So you're like, oh, you concealed a crime about the federal law. That the federal government had decided not to prosecute prosecute for. And this is what we're going to ring up this guy on right now. Let me push back on this one thing. I mean, I agree with you entirely. And by the way, just to point out, there are a million liberal columnists um, who agree with this, your your, um, argument too, from like, you know, Ruth Marcus and I won't say Van Jones because people that just the name Van Jones you know, summons crazy people always, um, people who hate him on his own side. But the argument there was that the guidance from the feds was not to go after a sitting president. And so now that he is no longer a sitting president, he is fair game. I mean, there's also, keep in mind, the statute of limitations argument in New York, which is very complicated because it's five years and we're now in year six. But if you slice it and dice it a couple of ways, it can be okay. But even that is under dispute, right? So the what this all brings into play is that at any given time, as the great Harvey Silverglade has taught us over and over again, wrote a book under the name 15 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, three crimes a day, right? Um, we're three felonies a day. Felonies we a day. all of us commit three felonies a day on average without knowing it because there's too mm. many goddamn felonies. There are mm. so many laws and rules that makes all of the criminal justice system or way too much of it an act, an exercise of discretion. We are deciding to do this. We are deciding not to do this. Recall James Comey in his famous press conference talking about Hillary Clinton right before the 2016 election. He laid out in, I think, pretty convincing detail Two things. One, she probably violated the law, <laughs> the letter and spirit of the law. And it's actually kind of an important law, too, uh, in theory. Uh, and two, we normally don't prosecute things like this. And so we're not going to prosecute this. Um, and he was agonized about it and whatever. But um, this is what you have to do in a world where there are so many laws and so many people violating them. And there's only so many um, available prosecutors at any given time, especially on and on the federal level, that everything is about a question of discretion of what you decide to focus on. That's a bad thing. That's not a good rule of law. That's a rule of prosecutorial discretion. And how did Alvin Bragg, uh, how did the New York City and state uh, infrastructure electoral groups, how did they how have they campaigned over the last five years? They campaigned against Trump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andrew Cuomo campaigned against Trump. My local city council woman, I'm sure, campaigned against Trump. That's what you do because everyone is so focused on federal national politics, and he's the hate figure of people in New York. So you say, I'm gonna, I'll be, you know, strong enough to to go against Trump. And what do you know? Uh, the people who are going against Trump the most are local prosecutors, mm. um, and and sending up his 
uh, foundation, uh, all kinds of things. He is likely guilty of so much of this stuff. I'm sure. For sure. I'm oh, confident that he's, so he's guilty of yeah. the letter yeah. of campaign finance law and maybe by the transit of property. But you have all of this <laughs> discretion. So use it. You don't use a ticky tack. A novel interpretation of laws, one that hasn't been done, just yeah. which is how the New York Times, thing. which is how the New York Times has described what's happening in Manhattan. Yeah, they criticized the New York Times. <laughs> yeah, the Times has criticized this prosecution yeah. too. And by the way, Alvin Bragg ran for for the Manhattan DA position on the express with the express campaign platform of getting Donald Trump. So mm-hmm. it is by its very nature, according to Alvin Bragg, a political prosecution. He sure. didn't say on what. He didn't say what it was like, well, just, we'll figure it out, but I'm going to get Trump, you know, and like, look, again, you have you have to do the throat clearing because I'm sure there's plenty of stuff. I mean, there's far more interesting stuff going on. I mean, the, the document stuff, the Georgia stuff, Georgia's all of done, that. The Georgia stuff is actually is actually a hell of a lot more compelling than this. a hell of a lot more compelling because, I mean, is there anything more sort of scummy sounding, even if you take the law out of it, say, I don't understand the law. Play that for anyone. Find these votes. Mm-hmm. Not find two, not find ten. Yeah, yeah. Do something that's never been done in history. A missing 11,000 votes. That's yeah. Just and, and even then, I'm, I'm skeptical right? that you could win that Probably prosecution. Not. Because There's a, it's, it's a not, tough one, yeah. You yeah. know, the intent is, is unclear there. But yes. this, but is, a, this is so it, much more dubious. The New York The underlying accusation crazy. in Georgia is important. It's yeah. an important mm-hmm. one. A sure. sitting president leaning on state government to try to to like tip an election in his favor that's awful corruption is germane yes we're we're talking about stormy daniels yes we're literally fucking talking about stormy daniels still after all the uh, why not bring up fucking john edwards at this point like what are we doing it's it's bizarre to think that a self-funded presidential candidate like largely right um or in large part i don't actually know which percentage what percentage of it was raised and what percentage of it was his own money but he spent a lot of his own money that he would, for whatever reason, decide, you know, I can't actually lend myself this money. Like, I can't do that. So I'm going to pay for it through the company in a weird way, and we're going to call mm-hmm. it legal fees, and that's what we're going to do, just so I can mm-hmm. keep it away from <laughs> from you people so I can make this indirect contribution to my campaign, because uh, I can't afford the $150,000, $175,000 that I have to pay to Stormy Daniels, but I have a private jet. It makes absolutely no sense and also it seems, it seems obvious yeah. you do this to hide it from your wife exactly right. and that's, <laughs> that's and that's you know honestly that's in this case the thing. It's, it's materially different right because you're not it's not to try to you know win an election right yes. or persuade the electorate i'm just trying to hide this from my wife because she was literally at home with our newborn baby when i was at a golf tournament what a having deplorable, sex with a deplorable human I, just a bad human and all. I mean, God. look, these, that's something that I would do. Not, this is not, <laughs> and I know that I should not be president. I shouldn't be president of the fucking local ski shooting think, club. I don't think no, you would do this. I don't think you would pay. I just, uh, yeah, I wouldn't pay. A I would just porn like, star to sleep with you and then no, it's free. That, like, pay her off to keep her quiet. I don't think you would do this whole no, thing. No, I don't have the money for that, but I would be like, <laughs> can you just stop talking about it? It's, probably, it's pretty bad that you're talking about it. Oh, I thought it was God. pretty fun. <laughs> By the way, isn't it amazing too um, that we used to have a Republican Party? Yeah, so crazy to me. And all these people getting exercised of like, yeah, this is a political prosecution, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, sure, I agree, I agree, I agree with all that. But it's really funny that there's no one like, yeah, but 
as Republicans, as people that used to be the kind of family values types who persecuted Bill Clinton for all of the his sexual picadillos, are saying that he, there's literally a Republican president paying off a porn star that he had sex with while his wife was at home giving birth to their son. Hot no one too. cares about this, like in the Republican <laughs> Party. Like they used to pretend to care about this, stuff, but I just want to say that they don't care anymore, and you have literally no credibility on any kind of quote unquote moral issues in the future if you just give this guy a pass on this. Beyond DeSantis this, is not about a prosecution kind of, thing. Just as just in general, this is DeSantis been, was kind of funny about it, though, right? I, he did it perfectly. I, yeah. I gotta say, he did it perfectly. I mean, I mean, threaded that needle in a way that ex- it was exactly how you should have done it, and says, you know. I mean, how perfect is it that not mention his name? I mean, it's very deliberate that they're not mentioning his name. And to say, like, look, <laughs> to make it sound like an aside is amazing. Like, look, I look, I wouldn't know how to pay off a porn star. But anyway, I think that Alfie Bragg <laughs> is like, dude, nice one. Honestly, nice one. <laughs> you should be the nominee just because that was well done. And so Trump, of course, loses his mind. Gets very mad about this. And his response is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And we're so inured to this idea of what Donald Trump does and says that nobody even talks about the fact that his response was like, fag. He literally (laughs) did. I'm not joking. He literally tweeted back and said, Ron DeSantis is gay. Did no one see this? You're going to have to read. Go go into Truth Social. (laughs) It is wild. Get in the Mastodon. Tell us. I I mean, yeah. How do I get onto Truth Social? Is that... uh, (laughs) Do I have to get a, do I have to get a, like a password for that? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he was like literally called him gay. Um, here, let me find this. <laughs> the most amazing thing, because it doesn't make any sense on about a thousand ways. So he says, Ron DeSanctimonious will probably find out about, capital letters, false accusations and fake stories sometime in the future as he gets older, wiser, and better known when he's unfairly and illegally attacked by a woman, even classmates that are underage or possibly a man. I'm sure he'll want to fight these misfits just like I do. The reference there, of course, is that there was some nonsense story about when Ron DeSantis was a teacher. There's like a photo of him at like a party with kids (laughs) and there were people drinking and, you know, maybe they'll say that about you. Or maybe it was even a man that you had sex with. Like, wait, wait, what? Did Donald Trump just be like, he's like 12 years old guys like attacking him and giving him a hard time. He just looks, he's like, you're fucking gay. Like literally that was his response. And like, nobody even noticed. It's like Ron, he called Ron DeSantis gay and then no one cared. But I love the fact also implicit in that is that, um, is that Donald Trump is so stupid that he, he says when they make up fake and unfair charges about you too, so you've just vindicated him. You've just told him that when this happens, it's fake and unfair because yeah. he's talking about himself, but then he doesn't know how to formulate it without wrapping DeSantis into it too. And saying like, yeah, when they do that to you, the fake, fake you know, maybe these girls at your school, maybe even a man like, wait, so you're saying that they'll lie about it. It's so confused and so con- convoluted, but it's unbelievable that his response was like, you're gay. <laughs> just like, what the fuck? And he's opening up a lead, right? Like he's uh, he's polling better against uh, yeah he's, meatball he, Ron. Yeah, he took a took a a little. A, but look, that's you know, I mean, look what happened that's after the really. raid on Mar-a-Lago. It's the same thing; he'll get a bounce. But uh, but in the in the end, you know, he lost the last election. He needs he needs independence, 
I don't who 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 hasn't made up their mind about Donald Trump is going to be like, oh, now he's getting his mugshot. Now I'm on his side. I don't he's think got, it's going to I be mean, that. he's got to have like the 18 year olds are going to have to suddenly love him. Right. There's got to be new people who haven't already experienced exactly what it was like to be a voter during Donald Trump yeah. to maybe go his way. You're not going to like suddenly re woo independents who never and they voted for him by about 12, uh, 12 vote plurality over uh, Hillary Clinton. And then his uh, poll ratings among them was never like above 40 yeah. percent for the rest of his yeah. presidency. And it still isn't now. But again, I just want to reiterate for our democratic friends the people rubbing their hands with glee like if you reach for the flimsiest straw to try to get this person this politician with if you are are applauding someone who literally ran on a lock him up (laughs) candidacy remember how like lock her up is gross it is yeah yeah it's actually gross Mm -hmm. and what's weird is that trump didn't even lock her up the democrats right now want are trying to lock him up on something that is of less consequence than what Hillary's, you know, violating the letter of, of the law back in 2016 was less consequence. Um, it's, it's bad and you're going to make it easier for people to dismiss future prosecutions or just political arguments or yeah. whatever about <clears throat> actual Trump malfeasance of which there's going to be a lot. And there has been that it's been consequential. Like if you are, Talking for seven years about we've got to protect our democracy. Mm-hmm. Please, please tell me that you didn't mean this whole time. We've got to protect our democracy from Michael Cohen payouts to Stormy Daniels. Please mm-hmm. tell me that's not what you mean. It's gross. It's sick. It's it's weird. It's way, you're relying on Michael Cohen, who is one of modern recent politics biggest shitbags. You know, and like he, t- t- I have to say that the people on the other side, I mean, it was, I saw a clip, um, I think it was on Mediaite this morning. It was really nothing special to it, but it was Howard Stern talking about um, watching MSNBC and how like all gleeful everybody was and how it was kind of gross in a way that it was treated like a, a sporting match. Like we're going to get them now and how obsessed they are with it. And you become so obsessed with it is that you literally put people like Michael Cohen on MSNBC. And this is a man <laughs> who only flipped on Donald Trump because his fortunes changed. And Donald Trump is never going to stick his neck out for you or anybody. And you knew that because you worked with him for a long time. And you, all you had to do is watch Donald Trump for five minutes and you know he's not going to stick his neck out for you. And then all of a sudden, this guy has been rehabilitated in a way because he might be one of the keys to getting Donald Trump in front of that police camera to take the mug shot that we can all put on t-shirts and hats and the rest of it. Michael Cohen is a, is a piece of garbage. I mean, he's a, he's a piece of garbage that only New York can produce. He is like a mobster lawyer. He is a lawyer on, in Bonfire of the Vanities. He's that kind of lawyer. And he's the type of person that goes and has that like New York accent that goes and works for Donald Trump. And all of a sudden, I see him on MSNBC and CNN just being like, Donald is the worst. And it's like, you just discovered this? Because even if that were to be true, which is obviously not, but even if that were to be true, that disqualifies you from commenting on anything because you're clearly a moron. If you just realized after working from this long that he's a scumbag. Why we take this guy seriously, it's, you know, I mean, these people, Michael Avenatti, Mm. Michael Cohen, it's like, 
Could he's be the guys? Come on. Ugh, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, he's, he's a bad guy. It's very easy to make him look like a bad guy. Why do you keep choosing such stupid cases like he's probably been a KGB agent since the 1980s? <laughs> hey, Come Michael, on. Michael, do we think that Camille has taken this gummy? He's got that look on his face. Oh, yeah. He's, no, he's, he's thinking about telescopes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want I you to talk about your telescopes. You were showing us your erect oh, telescope I did, earlier. I did. Well, oh, you know, get an opportunity to fill up my glass. I want to do. This is an ad. This is actually an ad. So, yeah. as some of you know, and I actually don't think I've talked about this, and I, I'm probably not going to talk about it much, except to say that I'm working on a, a, a series for. Uh, a, partner at free think big think and there's this meme matt do you remember the meme that someone made um in the early days of this podcast where it was a graphic of me um sitting next to this weird celestial thing and it was a fake show called time is amazing do you remember this meme <laughs> no I do you don't. remember that i just remember yeah, you by a pool we did. Like, with your shirt off uh, <laughs> well that's a better meme that's the best yeah. meme yeah yeah um, the shirtless flexing Camille meme is one that we yeah. should post that again. We just post it every day. We just got tonight. I hope you, you saw it, but uh, there's a new uh, uh, fifth column bingo meme. That I did around. see. I did see that, that was pretty strong. I did yeah. see that, but uh, but let me not lose the thread so I can get, yeah, go, get go. out of this quickly. Um, anyway, someone made a meme about a show made by Camille about time, the nature of time. Again, I, because I said on a podcast once, time is amazing. And then we were talking about like physics and stuff. And I, I have a deep and abiding interest in physics. I read a lot of books by physicists about topics that I only kind of sort of understand, even by the time I finish reading the books. Um, and I'm you doing a show nice. that is kind of about, <laughs> about this interest and at least runs parallel to those interests and leaves me no room to talk about the things that we frequently talk about on this po podcast. But as part of that um, effort, I was given a telescope by the remarkable people at uh, Unistel Unistellar who make these brilliant Wait, they gave smart it to telescopes. Well, I mean, they, they gave it to me to use. I mean, whether or not they'll let me keep it is another thing. So this is the thing. I can only praise them so highly until they commit to just letting me keep the bastard. Because this is like their top of the line um, telescope. And Why didn't they is, send me one? It is a bad motherfucker. I like um, eating gummies and looking at the you're stars. Because you're not making a show about space. Yes, I like, am. Like, I'm making a show <laughs> How about do you know space. I'm not? Look over that. Look at that thing. She's beautiful. Yeah, it looks like a lamp. And I mean, I took it outside yeah. earlier today. We did um, a, a walkthrough with the telescope with this uh, wonderful astronomer who works uh, with their team, uh, Lauren. And um, I'm so impressed with this piece of hardware. Um, it is, it's just really, Wait, really so you did like a FaceTime call with her. Yeah, we did a FaceTime call and she walked me through all of the, the setup and some of the really cool stuff that the telescope can do. So this is the EV scope two, um, by Unistellar and you'll find reviews of this. If you check it out online, um, it, it I think a lot of people probably don't actually know how to align the damn thing and focus it properly before they get to using it. Um, because you know they just don't know but what's really cool about the scope is it is brilliantly designed for use in a lot of complicated settings particularly like these weird low um high light pollution settings where you don't get a lot of stars 
Um, and even in those urban environments, you're still able to take the telescope out and see the nebulas and galaxies, like stuff that you typically cannot see um, from those locations because of the light pollution. It's just got this really cool $5,000, by the way. It. Yeah, it's expensive. Out. It's expensive. Um, but I some of y'all, I, some of y'all never fly coach and you know what's up. This, yeah. If you're going to go stargazing, you need one of these. You should get I'm you on one. fucking Spirit Airlines. Can you yeah. send me one? Send <laughs> you me should one. get you one. And I'll just be um, like, I don't know. I'll get on the, the yeah. FaceTime call with that. How about, how about this? A couple of you get some and make it a point to let them know that Camille sent you so they let me keep this thing forever. Oh, um, at, a min- nice. at a minimum, I'm, I've got it now and I'm going to have it throughout the production and, and it's not clear that I have to give it back. No, but sure Matt and I are on the show too, to. so we should, get, <laughs> we should get a telescope too. I mean, well, Matt we'll talk about he it lives more. in the city. It, it, yeah. he, he's just going to look at, at, at like drug deals going down. It's not great for that. It is not yeah. great for that. Yeah. It is. Like, it wow. Is, I see that guy over in red yeah. like, jerking it in the park. No, like, no, no, it's not I great for that's that. That's not what it's for. But I mean, it, it really is. It really <laughs> is very yard. cool. Like, I mean, you can, you can look at stuff that you probably won't be able to see, um, with your naked eye. And it does this really cool thing where it can filter out photons from other light sources that are not the star that you are pointing the telescope directly at. And it can layer images on top of one another to give you a crisper image of the the thing you're looking at in the sky and it it is the real photons from that object coming into the optical sensors of this camera um telescope slash camera because there is a camera inside of it as well and giving you these beautiful images that you know in, in many other instances you could only kind of search for it online but it also has these really cool community features where you can participate in essentially the citizen astronomy in ter- and be part of major research projects and actually contribute meaningfully to the science that is going on. So it's a very, very cool telescope. I, I can't wait to play with it with Leah um, one of these nights um, when it's a little warmer and I can keep her up late. Um, but that's it. That's the end of the ad. Go, I don't go. think I could Thank do you, it. Thank you, Unisteller. Yeah, send me one, Unisteller, too. No, because what I, I, I don't think I could do it because I would – start looking out there and just get immediately freaked out. I just get immediately freaked out. It's freaked out by it what? Just, yeah, just the whole thing. On. Yeah. The yeah. whole thing. It's too much. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what's going on out there. It's just Man. too much. When I, I don't know. I, oh, I just, it's too, <laughs> it's too depressing. You know, it's, I feel like it's Woody Allen, the kid playing Woody Allen at the beginning of Annie yeah, Hall. Yeah. And he's like that, at the doctor yeah. and he's like, the universe is expanding. And his yeah. mother's like, no, it's not. It's <laughs> hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. That's what I feel like. I'm like, the universe is expanding. This is terrible. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's inspiring. Right. It's amazing. It's magical. There, there are bits of it that can be a little um, intimidating as well. But I, I think, you know, all in all, like looking up in that way, like makes me feel, you know, supremely optimistic and fills me with a lot of hope. Uh, I mean, it just the problems that we're navigating here are so small, like so preposterously trivial by comparison. <laughs> I haven't yet. yet to get me. I haven't yet. But when oh. I do, it'll be great. Last night yeah. was great. I did. I didn't realize. Yeah, no, you were texting, texting us nonsense. <laughs> what is he talking about? Was I texting nonsense? Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't nonsense. I haven't yeah. gone back and looked. I think it made a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that you <laughs> had <laughs> feelings about Chinese people, but okay. Literally, people. That was weird. Just, just to I tell you what nonsense about Chinese people. Camille, wait, 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 let me go back and look. You called them something <laughs> different. <laughs> normally, <laughs> normally our text string is sacrosanct, but this is too funny to leave. <laughs> 
Kirill's like, I'm watching these Noam Chomsky videos. <laughs> oh, that's right. And he's so clear. He's like, yeah. No. When he's talking about linguistics, it makes sense. Yeah. Trust me, most of the I've stuff the he says gummies. only makes sense when you've been eating $500 worth of gummies. <laughs> I, what I said was, I could quote myself, Chomsky on actual linguistics is pretty breathtaking. And then you guys were like, yeah, I mean, Camille, he's, he's been, you know, people have said he's wrong. There's been a lot of criticism of his work over well, the I years. said you should listen, look at it, Paul Postal, who has yeah. another, I didn't say he's right or wrong, I just said there's another yeah. opinions on this. But, too, you, yeah. but you showed me that, you know, there are critical perspectives. And I, what yeah. I said in response was, I have no idea if he's right. But the presentation, <laughs> I have it, no idea even where at, I am. <laughs> even at his advanced age, is potent and amazingly clear. And, and I then I sent you a picture amazing. of Gandalf. <laughs> you shall not pass. Last yeah. night I understood <laughs> everything that he had to say, and it was Did Gandalf just come off the amazing. screen. And <laughs> Let's go outside and look at the telescope. No, he really is very good. I mean, there was no stuttering, no fumbles, and now I'm reading my my own stuff from last night. It seems like his mind is still incredibly sharp. And yeah. how can he You're be high. so dumb about yeah. other things? And maybe he's right, and I'm wrong. Yeah, but that, that was the, that's oh, this is the part where I said I because you yeah. said that I was like this what? doesn't make any like, sense. Yeah, then you were like <laughs> it's I ate a thousand gummies because <laughs> you're like maybe he's right about Cambodia. Yeah, and I'm wrong. Maybe he's right about. <laughs> and it's like oh no, there you go. Just because well, this- you guys signed the same letter doesn't mean you're gonna have you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. dinner together. He did. He did sign the Harper's letter. Um, and he's been yeah. he's been a fairly good and consistent partner on uh on matters of free expression. Um, yes. I, yes, you know the issue is. So what happened is I was in New York and I realized I'm because when I'm in New York I generally stay in the Fide Eye, my old neighborhood, and there are more weed shops than bodegas. It's crazy, and it, and they've just popped up all of a They're sudden. All and illegal. I went over. And, and this yeah. is, I went into yeah, the yeah. store and I'm talking yeah. to the woman, I'm buying some stuff and she's not terribly helpful, but I did buy a lot of stuff. And she, and I was just asking Cash if she was checking me out. No, they like charged it. So I don't know. Oh, cause it's, it's illegal. Just, That's right. I okay. guess so. Yeah. If they're legal, they have to, it's, if it's they're like legal, then they can't yeah. do it. But if it's no, illegal, exactly. they take yeah. the credit cards. They can take, you can, <laughs> we, you can Venmo we them, do yeah. take American Express and Visa and MasterCard. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I said, so what is the legal situation here? She said, well, questionable. I said, questionable? She said, eh, it's pretty much illegal. It's illegal. Yeah. And I said, okay. Um, but everyone, she's like, yeah, nobody cares. It, no, and it is true. I mean, they are yeah. openly selling absolutely everything vapes like the seeds and whatever else and i don't actually know the technical and this is three years only since the state of new york cracked down on all flavored vapes it's crazy michael couldn't get vapes remember we were yeah i I still can't yeah i have to go to the indian reservation but you can buy weed vapes yep yep (laughs) you can yeah there's some places that do it illegally and they are very worried about it so there's one place that I would go uh, on Canal Street, and it mm-hmm. was this uh, Pakistani guy, super nice dude, but he would give you a card that just had the name of the bodega on it. It was like a business card. And when you'd ask for something, you'd be like, oh, I don't have that. And then you would take out the business card. He's like, oh, you've been vetted. And then he would sell it. And meanwhile, like right across the street, there's like people, like this is like a meth lab. It's like New York's finest meth lab. No one cares. But the vapes, jeez, <laughs> you can't do that. But um, yeah, they, that's, that's been, people have gone crazy on that. There was a story the other day. Um, I don't tweet anymore, but if I were to 
tweet, I would have probably said something about this. The I was a woman who died, and uh, she was in South Carolina or something, and it was in the Daily Mail. And they're not, they don't love accuracy in the Daily Mail usually. <laughs> but it's like fine if they get it, but if it's, if they don't, they're like, all they're right, They're not aiming cool. for that. They're yeah. not aiming for it, but it's, sometimes it's they hit. It's yeah. happened a few times. But they uh, had this thing with this woman who's like, she died from vaping. She quit cigarettes and now she died from vaping. And it was like, you read the story and like, that, there's literally no evidence of that in the story at all. We have no idea what happened to this woman. Nobody's quoted, no nothing. Just like her partner who was like, she died from vaping. She always had the vape in her mouth. It's like, yeah, but she smoked for 40 years before it too. But this kind of uh, mania about vaping has been allowed to take over. Nobody questions it. And why bother? And there used to be one person that did who kind of gave up uh, a professor at Boston university. who I think is now at Tufts named Michael Siegel, uh, Dr. Michael Siegel, who was like yeah. a big opponent of the tobacco industry. And he was like, look, you know, it's not great to vape. I don't think, but all these studies are bullshit and it's a thousand times better than smoking cigarettes. And as he said to me, you know, if you, if everybody vaping, um, smoking cigarettes quit and started vaping would save like millions of lives every year. And he was the only person standing athwart this stuff, uh, yelling, what? <laughs> yelling, stop, what? Are you kidding? And uh, he's kind of disappeared. So these, these stories like proliferate and it kind of makes sense to me in a way that, uh, the weed stuff would be everywhere and the vape stuff is impossible. It's really hard to get. Wow. And they, you know, they like, you know, attacked the federal government went at Juul in a way that was so crazy when we look back on it, like a company that was selling a legal product that had not been sanctioned by the FDA in any particular way. So they went after them for targeting kids. Um, and they had some like ad campaign that was like supposedly cool and I don't even think the campaign ever ran. It was like something that was proposed internally. And that was enough for them to go hard after them. And I think Jewel just settled and then sold the company. All sorts of weird stuff happened. Um, but it's really crazy that if, if the public decides they don't like you and that you're not doing a good thing, they're not going to complain very much when the feds come after you in such a uh, horrible way. I mean, we've seen that that's called the drug war, actually. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we allow insane sentencing and things like that. Because but people say, oh, it's a good, it's good. It's so, it's, it's, it's so hard to wrap your head around that coexisting in New York and other places. But mm -hmm. really, it's, it's obvious in New York with just weed shops absolutely everywhere including yeah. like and and also vape shops everywhere too like incredible water pipe displays on so many places that used to be bodegas um you know there's there's a place that opened up right on the corner it used to be a check cashing place uh, on the park over here you guys know this neighborhood it's called the good life and it's just like brightly yeah. lit you're going in there to get Camille's gummies. That is that is what's happening <laughs> there. Everywhere. There's water pipes. Everywhere. It's it's astonishing. It overnight. I'll do an ad for those. Tomorrow. It was overnight. Yeah. It was overnight. I was like, you know, in Joanna's neighborhood, and just on the corner of like a big thoroughfare, and like in the corner, I was like, there's like two weed shops now, and it happened in the because once it's so like quick. the I am Spartacus yeah. of like doing illegal things, and it was like you can't get take down all of us, and so I they mean, all started doing it at the same time. It's but, New York is a wonderfully exuberantly commercial place. And like you have this mix of incredibly overbearing and nanny esque Budinsky laws all the time. Lucy's yeah. fucking pinball machines until 1976, like all kinds of crazy shit that like people can't even wrap their heads around. 
But when you know something is not going to be enforced, there's going to be 5 trillion of them tomorrow. Like, and all of like the immigrants are going to be doing it. People are going to do it in cash. It's just a. After the smoking ban and then the huge uh, state and city taxation on cigarettes uh, that made them like 10, 11, $12 a pack, which is, by the way, over a decade ago that they were. $12 $12 a pack in here. I mean, it's still like $4 a pack in, in certain places in this country, you know, particularly tobacco producing places and places in the South. And what you found almost immediately, I remember getting off the, the subway on 125th street in Harlem and coming up the stairs. And there was a guy with a trash bag, like literally a trash bag full of cigarettes. And I was like, looked at him and I bought, I bought a pack of cigarettes from him. Sure. And he was like, cause I smoked at the time and he was like, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know, Marlboro Lights or whatever. And it was like five bucks, six bucks, something like that. So it was it was a lot less than it was in the in the bodega. And I took the cigarettes and they had like a South Carolina tax stamp on them. And people were just making runs down to the South, driving them back up. Because, you know, weirdly, when you legislate against things, they don't go away. People just become very clever about getting them. And it creates a you know, bit, bit of a criminal element. But I don't mind the fact that there's weed shops everywhere. I just, it's fine. I don't, I don't care. I mean, it's, no one is deciding to smoke weed or eat gummies just because they're available. I just don't believe that that happens. There's, there's Kids, an element. That's different. There's yeah. an element of 14 year olds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's different. Like I'm talking about yeah. adults, but kids, yeah. I, I don't think that kid, I mean, I was not allowed to drink because it was illegal and it was very hard to get alcohol, but we figured it out. Um, there was not a shop to get it, but we would, we would figure out where to get it. How old was, uh, Michael Moynihan when he uh, got drunk for the first time? Uh, 13, 12, oh. probably 12. I remember exactly what it was on too. Southern comfort, which I oh. never have, have had since. Cause it's no. the most disgusting thing. And I think I might've vomited <laughs> because I was like, oh wow, this tastes like candy. And then it was like, then I just sprang it all over the walls. I just, but oh, in the woods, <laughs> but we found a place um, that um, would sell us uh, booze because uh, they were Vietnamese. They had no idea. They could not tell the difference with white people of how old they were. <laughs> said no. He's <laughs> like, you guys all look the same to us. And we would drive. It was on the border of New Hampshire in a place called Billerica. I know we have a listener, by the way, sent one time. He's like, I live in Billerica, which we used to call, uh, to try to make a class here, we used to call it Balerica. And in Balerica, there was a place, um, a Vietnamese place, on the border of, of uh, close to the border of New Hampshire. And the guy was just like, couldn't have cared less. Like, just couldn't have cared. And we drove, actually, to uh, Boston and got fake IDs that were the worst fake IDs I've ever seen in my life. But I don't, did people even have fake IDs anymore? They're too complicated now. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that they do. I have to believe that they can still do that. I, I haven't been in the market for that for a long time. Did um, you have a fake ID, Camille? Uh, no, no. I'm just saying I haven't oh been. There so many. I haven't been in the market for that. <laughs> to this yeah. day, you know. <laughs> we, no, really. I'm. I'm not a guy. I wouldn't need. I wouldn't need a fake ID. What's up, baby? Well, I'm thirty two. Yeah. And, and, and it's not like it would work. I mean, as famous yeah. as I am, every, yeah. everywhere I go, people always yeah. Camille. Is that you? Except when yeah. I fa- shave my face bald, as yeah. I've done recently, which is a mistake. Walking around with your telescope. <laughs> That's <Watching> Camille. It's <laughs> got his hardware. I'm a, man, I'm a man with, I'm surrounded by telescopes here. It's yeah. great, actually. Nerd. Uh, you were going to say something, Camille. He was going to, he was going to transition. Oh, I was going to say that, uh, no, I was going to say that the first thing I thought about um, when uh, I left the weed shop, though, was Eric Garner. And mm. the fact, you know, this is a guy who died because of mm, loose yeah. cigarettes being sold in New yeah. York City. 
and these enforcement um, sure. regime that had these small brigades of of uh, police officers who were surveilling and uh, conducting sting operations in the bodegas to stop them from selling individual cigarettes. Like that's that's what things look like in 2014 in New York, and now yeah. we have this industry <laughs> completely illegal totally out in the open industry of polite weed uh, retailers who have taken over all of these spaces that in some cases were vacated by people whose businesses were destroyed during the pandemic. Exactly. Um, yeah. But are now yeah. like newly renovated and have yeah. all of these very um, uh, kind of seductive names uh, in- indicating the kind of high that you're going to get. <laughs> Once you go inside and purchase their wares, and it's just—it's kind of bizarre. Um, but it also yeah. makes one think, like it's how kind many of the more opposite people? Of broken windows. Right? Yeah, but it makes you wonder, like how many more people will be prosecuted? Like who will be the last asshole prosecuted or even yeah. killed because of the idiotic um, war on? They've drugs. been raiding them, by specifically the way. on on like weed weed. Um, yeah. distributors, weed sellers. They've been raiding them, and that should be pointed out. That yeah. uh, you know they can't keep up. But I've seen a couple uh, raids. Uh, mm. People, uh, things posted online. I wonder what makes them actually catch you and decide to, yeah. to raid you. Because these this <laughs> woman did question. not seem at all concerned about it. I mean, the one thing that they they are cautious about is they had um, like a buzzer on the door, so you couldn't just get in. Uh, they have to buzz you in when you uh, kind of knock or ring the bell. Um, which is and by the way, it's surprising. not just New York City. I was in Rochester, mm-hmm. which is about a five and a half hour drive from New York City, and you know, closer, far, much closer to Toronto than it is to New York City. And uh, for Levy's meet, and I went. I was flying somewhere, and somebody that I was flying, I was asked me to get. Uh, There's a bunch of people getting together. I was like, oh, by the way, bring some jewel pods. <laughs> I was like, okay, and I stopped at a vape store. And I went in and it was just all weed in Rochester. And, uh, you know, we don't have to get into to, Takashi, but everyone in there looked like Takashi. And <laughs> they were in there. And I was like, I literally just straight up, I was like, does anyone bother you for selling this shit? He's like, nah, man, no one cares. And it's like, really? He's like, no. I was like, here? Because it's not a lot going on in this kind of little end of Rochester. And he said, yeah, nobody bothers us. They they know it they see it they but they don't care they don't they don't have time for it, which I think is a a, a smart thing and a good thing. But I'm I, I I want narrow broken windows. Only thing that I care about is I want everybody who jumps a turnstile to be shot in the back right mm-hmm. then right there. Mm-hmm. Jeez. No one who is a good person who has ever jumped a turnstile. Every like, and by the way, the, the, the um, <laughs> not no, true. never, no, it's never, not true. No, yeah, no, no I, I'm happens. sure. I'm sure nope. some hero has jumped a turnstile nope, while chasing a, a villainous criminal who did something bad. Yeah, that's that's ah, you're got in. You. See, come on now, I got come you. on now. <laughs> that man is that that person is a hero. <laughs> that person is a true hero, and he might get shot. I'm sorry, that might happen. <laughs> <laughs> under my rules where we shoot people who jump over turnstiles. Yes. No, the subway um, uh, station that I'm at in, in Brooklyn, I think about 4% of the people pay. A guy the other day was offended when he held the door for me and the, you know, the, uh, the, the emergency door that everybody yeah. goes through that he held the door and I was like, nah, I'm, I'm all right. And paid. I just like, I don't know. I don't want to get, 
you used to get arrested for shit like that. And I was like, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I just want to take please, the subway. Please tell me, Moynihan, that you're not going to turn into the person who, I think two, three weeks back, was getting roasted on Twitter. They're taking pictures of, uh, of people jumping turnstiles and like, and also counting. Like they stood there at their, you know, J Street Metro Tech or somewhere and like was counting that the, the number. I was going to say, right? Like it's a, it's a very short little walk. Dude, I am not a fucking that rat. Narc. I'm not Takashi. Come on, man. Yeah. I don't I don't rat people out. I don't take pictures of their expired tags for all of my fucking political friends to look at and be like, yeah, that's a brave, nice one. Nice job, buddy. And it's always like, and, people, and there's always people in the comments like, dude, stop fucking snitching. And he's like, well, you know, driving is very dangerous if you don't. It's like, oh, my God, please. I don't even have an argue, a counter argument because it's so dumb and so crazy. So it's for the normies out there, Matthew Iglesias, a uh, fairly well known I mean, I mean, I mean. <laughs> centrist, trolley uh, public policy writer, um, who we've talked about a time or two, has decided to to uh, yeah. launch a campaign in Washington D.C. to a hate campaign, take pictures <laughs> of people who don't have their tags updated and 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 uh, and clearly visible to the world or who have their license place obscured yeah exactly for uh for because the thing i wonder about though is that does he um smash people's phones if they have ways on them because ways (laughs) tells you where all the cameras are and you shouldn't know you should you should be getting caught (laughs) you shouldn't be driving fast in those places in between the cameras that's bad don't give him ideas I know. He I get this. back to East Egg in like five minutes because of fucking ways. And I, 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 when I met and Matt was there, when I met the guy who was the uh, the former CTO of Ways, I was like, dude, thank you so much. You saved me so much time. Where was, was that? Like, I was. I might have been a little bit sleeping. Uh, it was in that uh, where we saw the uh, journalist Maddie Friedman. Um, oh right, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, in that little office there, the when we were tech, getting our tech part, yeah. When we're getting yeah. our instructions. Yes, we're getting instructions from Mossad of, of who to murder in, uh, in Bay Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, do we have like real shit to talk about? Sorry, people. We did Sometimes. Trump. That's good, we, right? That's real. We, that's we did good. talk about Trump a little bit. Um, uh, Moynihan, you said that mm-hmm. you wanted to talk about uh, Biden's um, first veto. Oh, oh actually, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. an interesting one. Yeah, it is. Because you know, I mean, the nature of this. I'm going to pull something up on on this because you know the, ma- the nature of this veto is. I mean, you have Democrats controlling both houses of Congress here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know why? Because this is like kind of bipartisan in in uh, in modern. Uh, you know, in modern parlance, I mean, you have to have like Joe Manchin and a couple of other people. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was the uh, rejecting the bill to uh, reverse the ESG rule. You know about this? The uh, ESG is the. Do we do we know what this stands for? The acronym. I know the G is environment society and governance. I governance, think is the G. Yeah. yeah, which is a which is a, a very vague acronym for you have to invest. Yeah. In things that lose money but don't have oil companies in their portfolio. It's basically in, just environmental a, a kind of social governance. Environmental social, governance. social and governance. Yeah. Is, is yes. what it is. Yeah. But but this has become a big thing with Republicans at the moment. Um and there's there's these rules yes. the Biden administration. Refer to this as a woke woke capitalism. 
Yes, yeah. which is not wrong, by the way. No, I mean, it's, it's just wrong. that we don't like that word so much, but it's not wrong. And it's pretty interesting that his first veto was a rejection of something that um, rolled this back and basically said, you know, the whole Milton Friedman thing. I mean, Milton Friedman very famously said, um, the the purpose of a company is to maximize profits for shareholders, right? And uh, what what it was? What did they previously call that? It was um, corporate social responsibility. CSR. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. The corporate social responsibility, and that this is not the purpose of a company. If a company wants to do that, fine. But you know, you know, on its face, this is not the purpose of it. And particularly when it comes to things like pension funds, right? I mean, California, New York, I mean, these, the guidance to invest in things that have a particular political outcome is, or a political, um, you know, tinge to them is not the greatest thing in the world. Now imagine this on the other side, if there were a bunch of Republican, you know, governors or Republican, you know, people in the House and the Senate who said that we have to make sure that these large Pension funds are investing your money, which you have no control over, in things that further anti-woke ideas or conservative ideas. I would hate that too, by the way. I want to make sure to be clear that it's not because of the politics of it. I don't care about that. But I just thought it was fairly interesting that this being the first veto was um, something that, and by the way, his response to it when he was asked about it. In, he was unbelievably incoherent, but he he just lied in a way that offended me when he said, you know, we just want to make sure that people get the most money out of their retirement funds. And it was just this, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, you know, very creatively no, but that's, paraphrasing. That's how ESG is always sold. Exactly. We're just here because it's been proven by science that ESG funds or ESG style investing makes more money than the market. So this is just, that's just math. The, this that's bill would capitalism. risk your retirement savings by making it illegal to consider risk factors MAGA House Republicans don't like. That's not at all what is happening here. And also the thing that, that a few Democrats actually supported too. That's like literally not at all what's happening. And I, I don't like that level of dishonesty, that, which we got used to between 2016, 17 and 2021. I'd like but, to read yeah, the, uh, anyway. the, the second paragraph of the New York Times story on this. Mm-hmm. And my caveat before Which, I start what's is that. The te- what's the headline? What's the title of the story? Uh, it is uh, news. It's Biden issues first <laughs> veto to protect socially conscious investing. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, which is already a little bit loaded. Um, second by the way, it was mm-hmm. Manchin, which I said, and it was John Tester, of course, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I mm-hmm. think he's up for re-election, so, you know. The rule, well, yeah. the rule that the president vowed to protect is an obscure investing principle known as <laughs> ESG, shorthand for prioritizing environmental, social, and governance factors. It had been a widely accepted norm in financial what? circles mm, for almost ESG? 20 years. That's not true at all. Until Republicans recently started assailing it as, quote, woke capitalism. <laughs> Republicans <unquote>, pounce. <laughs> that injected Democratic and liberal values into financial decisions. Uh, more than $18 trillion is held in investment funds that follow ESG principles. I would just like to flag this as this is why you have anti-ESG laws. This is mm-hmm. why you have mm. uh, people who want to punch back at the uh, liberal or, or left media uh, and why people make arguments. And those arguments have a lot of heft. 
and stuff to them that there has been capture of the institutions. Um, you have to look a lot in just like getting uh, definitions of ESG um, uh, to get to the point where people are actually mad about. They're not mm-hmm. mad that there are investment funds or even that Vanguard pays attention to this as uh, no, like a, a set of, yes. of principles, right? If look, as Joanne Nosuchinsky always says, let the market decide. If it is true that your environmental social uh, governance factors um, mm-hmm. produce better than the market, capitalists will follow you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything. But yeah. that's not how ESG fucking works. Mm-hmm. I have in front of me uh, uh email that I get. I wish I could not, but since he was my city councilman and now he's the comp fucking troller of New York, Brad Lander um, sent out a thing to me, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, uh, linking to him being on CNBC on the Squawk Box, talking and defending uh, ESG. Uh, for him, uh, it's all about uh, like, uh, so he's, this is a, a uh, in his email, it says, take the S in ESG. It stands for social, but this week it could just as well stand for Starbucks. The company's <laughs> aggressive anti-union behavior has been all over the news with a federal judge ordering the company to pay millions to workers, blah, 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 blah. That's a reputational or a social risk to the coffee chain's brand, one that institutional investors should be concerned about. No, the fuck not. No. Look at Starbucks over the years. I'm pretty confident in saying without ever having looked at the fucking chart that Starbucks has probably returned pretty well. Over the years, despite people like Brad Lander uh, using them as a hate bear like they do with Amazon and a few other, uh, you know, like used to do with Walmart, but don't anymore. Um, uh, The point of ESG is that it's written into the rules. Brad Lander is the person who sits atop those public sector pension funds in New York and directs investments and throws lawsuits or shareholder actions at companies on Wall Street for not sufficiently giving ESG reporting reports that they would like. Um, It is the regulations that are associated with it. I'm demanding that you show and demonstrate your ESG-ness. I have the power of the government to compel that on you. And I'm going to use that in such a way that is just going to launder my absolutely politicized dislike for people like Starbucks along the way. That is the essence. It's not some like obscure thing. I love how the New York Times is like, oh, this sort of like obscure, random, small little thing that's become the institutional norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, that's how these things happen. You become the institutional norm and you do it in such a way that makes people change what they do. If you mm-hmm. talk to people who at all who are out there in the world having to comply with SEC requirements, what is the thing that they've been complaining about more often than not over the last three or four years. Listeners mm-hmm. who have been part of this, Camille, I'm sure, and others will tell you it's ESG shit. It is yeah. like demonstrating that you are a good corporate citizen, that you're not going to pollute the environment, that you're really concerned with the greenhouse gases and all this other stuff. Um, it's the requirements. It's the regulation. Well, yes. And the, Bi- the, Bi- the Biden um, um, rule prior to this, and of course it's been vetoed, was that you know you could be essentially sued for for not trying to maximize profit 
for the right. people who, and, and then of course they're like, well, no, there's a certain carve out and caveat yeah, if yeah. you're trying to do good. And of course, that, you're essentially rede- redefining fiduciary responsibility. Exactly right. And that's yeah. what, that's what it is. And then, I mean, it's funny too, cause you look at the, 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 who is the avatar of, of this type of investing right now. Sam Bankman Freed. That was that's, <laughs> FTX was all was all about yesterday. But the thing is, is that there was a couple of uh, economists. I think there were a couple of economists that wrote uh, a piece in the Wall Street Journal about is ESG profitable? Because the argument comes mm-hmm. from I, I think Brad Lander is probably one of these people that says it is, um, and they find that not only is it not, it really isn't. And what happened was there were a couple of outlier years when tech stocks were doing really well and they would be filed under certain kind of ESG requirements because they said they were carbon neutral or something like this. And the second that tech stocks started taking a bit of a beating, that their only kind of escape hatch closed for them. And um, otherwise, like, you know, who look at what happened in the past three years to, to the, the great horror and complaint of so many people in Washington. Very, very good numbers for oil companies. Right. And that would have been great for the for the people of California and their pensions or people of New York and their pensions. But under certain ESG requirements or options, shall we say, as a requirement as such. Um, they they could have not benefited from that and probably didn't in the New York. I don't know if that's true in the New York sense, but I just thought it was interesting that that was the first uh, first veto, and um, and yeah, it's a it's a that's one of those things that you know the woke capitalism, the ESG has been now replaced sort of broader woke quote unquote woke culture war stuff of look at these people going too far. They're saying everything is ESG, everything is mm-hmm. is woke capitalism, etc. But like, it's it's fairly clear. When you're saying I need to, but look, I, one final point on this is that when you presume that everything that you believe is the right thing, not something that is, you know, challenging it is itself a moral failing, which I mean, I saw a bit of that in the questioning of Camille during his debate. How could you dare? What? How could you challenge these things when you don't have any interaction with people that have different views and different ideas about these things? The fact that somebody would argue against something like ESG is just baffling to you. How on earth would somebody not want to make the climate, the planet, et cetera, better and can't see that there's another way of thinking about this stuff? And I think that that is something that I I come across so frequently that the idea that there is another way of thinking is so alien and, and it's actually frustrating, which is with the person who asked that last question and then confronted Camille later, is that it's you can't be serious. You can't really think these things. And that's not an argument, of course, but that's such a frequent thing of like, well, this is, we've created the benchmark. I mean, the, the sort of the, 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 this is our benchmark is that, you know, ESG is normal. This is the sort of things that we think. And to deviate from that is some sort of mental disability. It's some sort of moral failing to not agree with this out of the gate, which is, which is what happens when you live in a kind of one-party world, one-party state, you know, which is New York. People don't, they're not, I, I, I've told this story a long time ago when Joanna first came from Sweden. She had no idea about American politics, literally nothing, knew nothing. And we went to a party and this woman came up to her. This is like 2005. And she was talking to Joanna and one other person. And she was talking about a guy that she had started dating. And she said, um, the woman said, you know, I liked him and everything, but it's like, I found out like he's a Republican. Fucking, can you believe this? And keeps going, talking about this. Later, 
this is somebody who's come from Pluto, right? Uh, when we're leaving, Joanna said, why did the woman say that? I could have been a Republican, right? <laughs> and I said, no, it's New York City. You, they, don't, they presume that you agree on everything. And if you do, if you were to say that you were a Republican, that conversation would have ended pretty quickly. And she was completely mystified by it. Because, you know, Sweden, you know, you have eight parties, nine parties competing, and you meet these people all over the place. And it would, the, the, the idea in New York of just the, the place where there was one party, and you could confidently say, this fucking scumbag, a Republican, and you would get applause was just taken as a given. And it confused the hell out of her. He took the gummy. Look at his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm with it. Um, <laughs> I, he, did, he didn't say, I didn't take the gummy. I didn't. <laughs> he just said, I no, said no, no. I said, yeah. no, no, I haven't. Really, I haven't. I, I would have to go upstairs and get it because I'm keeping it in the fridge now. Because um, <clears throat> the, the package is open. You keep it in the fridge. It stays fresh longer. The pro did you travel on a plane with that? Excuse me? Did you travel on a plane with your... Illicit substances. What you say? Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm not fucking Homeland Security. I look, I look like Michael Cherdoff. Relax. No, you're right. No, no one would ever hear this conversation that we're having. No, 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 it's fine. Yeah. Anybody who's this far into the podcast about, is probably I'm not, not really sure smuggled. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, they, they deserve to, to nab us. I'm not sure what you're talking about, Michael Moynihan. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, sir, you appear to have a lot of Skittles in your bag. You have a picture because of Jerry Garcia from Why Don't the You Have them? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what do you got right. against the debt? Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, so ESG, Donald Trump, telescopes, magic, warlocks, mysteries. Uh, what else? What else we got? What else did I promise? I, guess, I don't know. I, I don't that's know. That's about it, right? I, I, I mean, Moynihan wanted to talk about Cuban. Oh yeah, baseball. baseball. No, no. Let's fu- let's end on this because it's funny. Okay, because I don't did know what's see, going on. Did you see on this? That. You didn't see this? I what's saw that? some of this, but committed. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't a, know what's going on with baseball. There was a uh, uh, <laughs> a video on Twitter during the Cuban game in the World Baseball Classic, which was played in Miami. Mm-hmm. You can imagine what would happen then, and there was a Cuban official. Uh, with a Cuba, you know, baseball shirt on, you know, mm-hmm. either part of the government or part of the part of the continue. just fucking looked like a communist. Yeah, yeah he looked like a communist. <laughs> he honestly, like a, I was like, you either are a Cuban government official or you go to Bennington College. Pick one. I don't know yeah. which one, but you're a communist. And there are people just started throwing shit at him. Yeah, they're just fucking like, Cubans fucking in Miami. Beer. Yeah, I mean, the and people were like outraged. Like, I cannot believe this is disgusting the way that. And finally, I sent Matt this tweet. Some person chimed in and was like, Do you get mad at the thousand plus political prisoners in Cuban gulags? And you're mad at this guy who got hit with a hot dog? And this Cuban foreign ministry released a statement today. I think it was after I sent this to you. Released a statement saying that uh, the fascist, <laughs> we called them fascists. I was like, Literally, it was a guy that 300 pounds with like a tattoo in his neck who was wasted on Miller High Life through a hot dog at a guy. Playing it's not, cowbell. It's not Himmler. It's like <laughs> <laughs> but it's really good to go onto Twitter and watch, you know, the, the instinct of like all oh, these Miami fascists throwing. It's like these are representatives of a horrible, fetid dictatorship. They should be humiliated and yelled at everywhere they go so that was it, just the only thing i wanted to say it was uh it was such a marvelous 
uh, event in the sense that you had a backup catcher who defected. Obviously, you're going to have that. Um, yeah. You had the – so the people from Miami, Cubans in Miami, and I'm being redundant there, um, they rooted for Cuba. Like half of the half of the audience, more or less, um, in Miami rooted for Cuba against the United States. So everyone's loyalties are all screwed up. The uh, Cuban team had three players, I think, who had defected. It's the first time that defectors were allowed to play uh, with the country that they defected from. But it was only the defectors who didn't talk of that much shit about the Castros and about the regime. So the other ones weren't welcome. And then many of the others were like, fuck you. I'm not going to play for this goddamn police state that I had to escape from, like Randy Rosarino, who played awesomely for Mexico. And who's a total baller. So you had all these like emotions swirling. Um, and uh, it was great because uh, the defectors who are playing in Major League Baseball uh, for Cuba absolutely got booed by the Miami Cubans. Mm-hmm. But the Miami Cubans were cheer- cheering for the Cuban Cubans. Like it yeah. was all fucking messed up and great. And none of this, I can't stress this enough. It was the worst broadcast I have ever seen mm. of a sporting event. Ever. None of this was shown. You By have, way, this, like, is, this is the quote from the, from the statement from the foreign ministry, which is amazing. With the clear purpose of destabilizing our players. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you do at baseball games. <laughs> you, you, yell, like, <laughs> you fucking bomb. Yeah, I'm trying to destabilize them. Repeated acts of various kinds. I love how broad that is. Were carried out against them, against the delegation that accompanied them, and against fans in the stadium. The next sentence from Reuters. During the game, fans behind home plate repeatedly raised banners, including one that read, down with the dictatorship, in reference to the administration administration of Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel. Um, three times, protesters ran onto the field, d- disrupting play before being tackled by stadium security. Um, <laughs> I mean, disrupted, fascist, they're holding up things saying, libertad. Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. This is well, the, that's fascist. This, is, Cuba, this yeah. is the fascist disruption. Uh, but they never showed any of this on the on the broadcast. They never showed the people on the field disrupting play and waving flags and doing the patria y vida thing at all. They didn't show any of that. They didn't explain why Johan Moncada was getting booed, but the other guy wasn't. Mm-hmm. And instead, like John Smoltz sat and talked about like area codes or whatever. It's like he's, the, he's a moron. Yeah, one of the most interesting, just like like swollen with international intrigue and subtext yeah. uh, sporting events I can remember in my life. Granted, I'm a little bit interested in this, but come on, it's, it's communism, it's capitalism, it's Cuba, it's Miami, it's everything. What do you want? Um, and like none of it was shown. My God, what's wrong with you people? Come on. Look on Twitter and see the number of people that were just disgusted by the way that these fans acted who can't, you know, access the property that they had that was stolen from them in 1959 or mm. certain members of their family and things like that. But they're just, they're mad about somebody maybe throwing a beer on some apparatchik at a and baseball it was, game. It was mostly <laughs> just them taunting him, okay. not actually yeah, they were, like it was, physically it was, hurting yeah, him. It yeah, wasn't yeah, a yeah. riot. No one attacked physically. Yeah. No, no, they were just like somebody hurled like a sausage at some point. And everyone's like, I cannot believe this. This is violence and fascism. No, it's not. It's not fascism, guys. Fascism is alive and well about 90 miles from where that game was being um, being played. So anyway. Before we punch out, what are your thoughts on 
what Donald Trump is thinking about the potential <laughs> indictment in New York. Do you suspect that he views this as a political opportunity? Of course. Um, or that he is afraid? Because I, I certainly see Both. a lot of mainstream media outlets saying, oh my God, he's so afraid. He's so afraid that this is going to happen. He's so afraid this is going to happen. I think, I think it's, it's I think it's it's a gift. It's an absolute gift to him. It's mm -hmm. going to make Republicans rally around him. Um, it is thin. They're not going to win. Um, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's and he's not going to be perp walked either. It's not going to be perp walked. It's going to discredit the Georgia case, which is much more interesting as we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Like everything about it. Is he afraid? No, hell no. no, no, God, not even a little bit. Um, I mean, I mean, he's not going for, to jail for it, right? You're not, I mean, he could, in theory, go to jail for this. Uh, he's not going to go to jail for it. But he, I mean, in theory, he could, yeah. But I think that somebody pointed out, I can't remember who was saying this, is that Donald Trump has always been afraid of that. He's always been afraid of jail um, as somebody who has been, you know, on germaphobe and, one side of the yeah. law, very closely <laughs> on one side of the law for many, many years. Um, but I think that this is a political opportunity um, from someone, I mean, look at, just look at how his campaign has been reacting vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, DeSantis, which is the constant, like, why is John DeSantis not speaking out about this? It's like, well, nothing's happened. It's only Donald Trump's prediction that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday, which never happened. Um, it still very likely that it will happen. This idea that, that, you know, DeSantis has to rally around him too. I mean, they see this as a rallying point. Mm -hmm. And they're mad at DeSantis for not chiming I mean, Ron, in for some Ron reason. Has, Ron has come out against against. Yeah, he, but has he has slagged but, the prosecutor for being you know politically motivated. Yeah, their idea is that as the governor of Florida, then he can somehow prevent an extradition of Donald Trump to New York, which he can. <laughs> so it was like, do more, do more, and it's like, no, he's also your opponent in the presidential election. Mm -hmm. Hasn't announced yet, but that's essentially what's going to happen. And well, I think it's what's going to happen, but yeah, I, I mean, he wants it to happen in a number of ways, but look, I, I mean, he obviously knows it's a weak case too. Mm -hmm. And he's been dealing with this since 2016, you know, various people kicking this thing around. It's like, I think he's fairly confident on this case in particular. I'm sure he's a bit more nervous about the other ones. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, it's a wild situation. It's like wild to imagine president of the United States being prosecuted in this way mm -hmm. it's nuts you you get to say uh soros funded da album yeah too. i mean that is the other random person the other like crazy irony of the situation these are prosecutors who in general like pretty much uniformly talk about not prosecuting people for things yes upgrading charges it, it, in yes. dubious cases in order to get jail time potentially mm -hmm. um for high profile people um when uniformly in other situations, they are looking for reasons to keep you out of jail. First day um, is what Alvin Bragg said. First yeah. fucking day on the job, he said, here are the things we're no longer going to treat seriously and, 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 and prosecute. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, like the, <laughs> the, the hypocrisy and the naked political motives on display here are kind of nuts. And it's not to say that it's inconsistent with the desires of many of the people who voted for him for all sure, of the reasons Matt sure. underscored. But it is hard to imagine if the identical situation wasn't playing out and Donald Trump or some Trump ally was going all MAGA crazy and was trying to prosecute 
their their political opponent on the other side, Joe Biden, let's say, or Joe Biden's son after this, um, that they wouldn't be crying foul and appropriately apoplectic about the abuse of power. Um, and I mean, this is just this is this is nuts to watch. Um, so yeah, and we'll by the way, it should concern out. people. And I think I've actually seen a number of people who are Democrats too bringing this up, which I was pretty interested by. Uh, who are pointing out the million plus dollars dropping into various Biden family uh, bank accounts after a deal with a bizarro Chinese company, including the you know widow of Bo of Bo Biden who died and who ended up having a relationship with Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, his uh, Joe Biden's brother. Um, it's kind of strange, right? I mean, you would think that people would be interested in this, that the number of people with the last name Biden are getting payments, which they have no qualifications for and don't deserve. It is perfectly rational to say, well, is the other Biden, he's the one with the brand name. He's the one that's actually, whether he, maybe he doesn't know anything about this. Maybe he doesn't, that's possible, but it's his name that they're trading on. So maybe it's worth looking into the lack of curiosity about this because of where some of this information comes from and, you know, all these people who humiliated themselves before saying that this was a Russian put up uh, with all the Hunter Biden laptop stuff. But I don't care about the naked pictures. I don't care about the crack smoking. I don't care about the prostitutes. I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. And nobody really should give a shit about that stuff. But it is kind of weird that such a ne'er-do-well a ne'er-do-nothing who has never seems to have worked a day in his life and is an absolutely atrocious painter, by the way. This should be pointed out. He's a very, very bad artist mm. and you know, <laughs> keeps on getting these uh, plum jobs and roles and that's corruption and a very naked corruption. And this has no effect on Joe Biden if he knew nothing about it, but we should find out if he did. You know, we should know. We should, it should be talked about at the very least. And mm -hmm. I can imagine that he didn't know anything about it. Or I can imagine him being like, all right, well, you know, here's a, here's a, a, a nod and a wink because guys worked in government his whole life. You know, he's got some cash. I don't know where it comes from. And I'm not suggesting in any way that it comes from, I mean, you get speaking deals, you get, you know, um, book deals, whatever it might be. There's a lot of ways of making money when you're in, when you're in public office. And I don't. And Joe anyway. Biden has used, exploited all of them. Hey, sure. Yeah. And oh. it could be that none of these things were, were related to these Chinese things, but like, good Lord. Yeah. Imagine if Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, and these other ne'er do nothings on the other side, um, had these receipts. I think you'd hear a little more about it. Okay. Good. Well, I suppose we should get out of here. Um, Hey, Moynihan was Fred Hampton assassinated by the U S government. I'll take my answer off the air. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column.